0: Thank you, Sarah, and thank you for everyone to join in today. It's a pleasure to be here. I thought I'd kick off with a a bit of a story uh, about my Uncle Jim. Uh, Uncle Jim there obviously uh, good-looking rooster runs in runs in the family, uh, but sadly, you know, passed away a few years ago. But he was a man that was very influential on my life. Uh, He came from very humble beginnings uh, and worked his way up the corporate ladder to become CFO for a a large mining company. And uh, the other thing about Uncle Jim is he was one of the greatest wind-up merchants you'll ever meet, and he would often just say things to get a rise out of people. And he would often say to me, though, that uh, he wouldn't survive in today's workplace because he couldn't smoke. Now, every inch of my health professional body wanted to explain to him all the reasons why smoking is bad for your health, but I I took a moment to really think about what it was that he was saying and also not give him the the pleasure of uh, getting a reaction from me. And when I really thought about what he was saying, he was right, because everything about smoking is good for your health, except for the cigarette back in Uncle Jim's sign that when he was stressed and under pressure, um, he would take out a packet of cigarettes from his top pocket, line it up, breathe deeply. Then obviously things changed a bit where he couldn't smoke in the office, so then he was forced to, to get up from his desk, to go outside, again, to breathe deeply, maybe converse with a colleague, get the latest office gossip, and then go back to his desk, feeling refreshed, refocused, rejuvenated ready to attack whatever problem that he was stuck on, only for those nicotine cravings to kick in a few hours later and repeat that process. So I guess when people are under pressure, we know that this is something that's really topical right now, The mental health is at a bit of a tipping point, um, that there's financial pressures, changes to daily routine, decreased social connections. So the, the office of the past is no longer the office of now, um, but I guess it is always important to think about some of those practices and how can we make uh, workplaces more conducive to our physical and mental health going forward. So I guess my outcome for you today is not just to tell personal anecdotes or uh, give you a whole heap of stats and facts, but to actually give you some frameworks on around how we like to approach creating meaningful wellbeing change, and then hopefully things that you can implement off the back of today. Uh, As Sarah mentioned, I would love to keep this session as interactive as possible. Uh, If you can jump in the comments section uh, and had any questions that you might have there uh, and throughout the course of the presentation, Sarah can jump in and, and share those with me, or we can address them at the end. I guess a bit about me, Sarah mentioned, I started my career working uh, in elite sport with high performing athletes. Uh, I then had the opportunity to take those those fundamental principles of high performance and apply those in the corporate world, uh, working with executives. Uh, They then felt the benefits of improving health and wellbeing outcomes for themselves. They then wanted to have the same outcomes for their teams. So we came in, we started working with their teams on on different programs and we soon realised that the people that were engaging with these wellbeing programs were the people that were already doing all the right things. The ones that we really needed to help were the ones still stuck at their desk, not sleeping, not eating well, not moving, feeling stressed, overwhelmed and at the the point of burnout. So that's where we really looked at our our strategy. We consulted to, to many different industry experts, to different models of behaviour, um, and that's where we, we really launched into better being, working into that corporate space. And so as a business, uh, we set out on a mission to help, to help people lead a happier and healthier work and life. We don't want work to take all of people. We want them to be able to enjoy life outside of work and to give them the, the tools uh, in order to do that. And I'm sure uh, a lot of you joining in, Uh, Your mission or or your purpose in the work that you're doing is probably something very similar, well aligned in in regards to taking care of people and helping them to get the best out of themselves. So when we first ventured uh, into this space, we came across Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Uh, Some of you might be really familiar with it, it gets thrown around a bit in the media, um, but I guess it's important to I guess come back to its its origins. Now Maslow was a famous psychologist who, in 1940, was one of the first psychologists to focus on human potential and positive psychology. Because before that time, a lot of the, the psychology research was all around treating mental illness, so things like bipolar depression, schizophrenia, anxiety. And in his works, he developed what is now known as the hierarchy of needs. So it's a model for promoting human performance. So at the base of the model, the most essential part of that model is the physiological needs of an individual. So how we, how we sleep, or how much we sleep, what we eat, how much movement we're getting, all determine how well we're able to perform. Above that, we then have safety. That includes, I guess, in this day and age, a lot more around financial and mental safety, but also physical safety. Then once we have those ingredients, we then move into more of the psychological components, where we look at things such as love and belonging, so our connectedness to others. We then move into esteem, so how do we feel about ourselves when we're by ourselves? And then we're able, once we have all these fundamental building blocks, to be able to move into the state of self-actualization, where we start to think about how can we maximize our capabilities? So by understanding these fundamentals of well-being, we were able to design programs that help to address each of these key components. And according to the World Health Organization, when they define what mental health is, it is a complete state of well-being. Where each individual realizes his or her own potential, individuals can cope with the normal stresses of life, individuals can work productively and fruitfully, and individuals are able to make a contribution to their community. So if we look at those factors of how the world, world organization defines mental health and mental well-being, it is fundamentally derived from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think that the model that we like to think about is that well-being is not the absence of disease, but it's about the presence of performance, that there's an undeniable link between how we feel about ourselves and our ability to perform at our best. So if we, I guess, translate into, I guess, the focus of what we're here to talk about today, when we look at, I guess, the return on investment from a safety program compared to that of a wellbeing program, we can see that safety is an essential part of this process but it's not the only part. And I guess the, the question is, can we get greater benefits from focusing on the factors outside of just pure safety? Uh, so a report by the Australian government, by Global Care, uh, looking at the benefits to business, the evidence for investing in workplace health and wellbeing from 2001, found that a safety program will return an average return on investment of $2.21 every dollar spent. Wellbeing programs have an average return of investment of $5.81 for every dollar spent. Significant difference in the return on investment from a wellbeing program compared to a safety program. Now, the high return on investment for wellbeing is due to the fact that wellbeing influences a lot more than I guess workers' compensation claims. And I guess if we think about it, no one has ever said that I stayed with the company because I love their manual handling Training, but they have said that I stayed with an organization because they valued me. They prioritised my well-being and they made me feel like I was an important part of the business. So when we look at well-being programs and the reasoning as to why they have such a high return investment, they they influence and have an impact on decreasing workers' compensation. So again, the studies have shown that a company with a well-being program a 41% decrease in workers compensation claims. They've shown that you are four times more likely to retain people if you have a wellbeing program and if we look at some of the research the cost of losing people is somewhere between 75 to 150% of that employee's annual salary so retention is key and I think in this market as well we've heard a lot about the great resignation and those sort of things so a well-being program is a great way to address employee retention uh, some more recent research is showing that 91 percent of employees are looking at companies mental health offerings when it comes to choosing a new job that it is as important if not more important to employees than remuneration itself So I guess the question to ask is, what are you doing and how are you promoting the fact that you support your employees' mental health and wellbeing? Uh, And not just at a a point of where critical care is necessary, but what are you doing on a regular basis to support employees in their mental health? And and interestingly, other research along the lines of that study also show that only 45% of employees feel supported in their health. So again, a really low percentage of people are feeling supported, but a high percentage of people are saying it's important when we're looking at choosing an employer. And then the last part there is that we know that people that have health and wellbeing programs and the employees that are healthy, uh, both physically and mentally, are two times more engaged and two times more productive. Um, and are less likely to leave their jobs. So when we look at that return on investment, it influences a lot of different aspects of that HR, uh, what human resources, talent, people and culture space, that it influences, I guess, the safety component of workers' compensations to um, the uh, performance. And, and again, a manager is going to be uh, measured on the performance of his staff to, I guess, the talent and and... and Uh, engagement and and, uh, attrition from there. So when we look at wellbeing, and and I guess how does that look like in the broader workplace, we identify that there's three key areas that influence an individual's wellbeing. And I guess three factors that you uh, as a company need to address in order to maximise employees' wellbeing. So first of all, there's a policy. A lot of that is around uh, compliance and legislation, uh, essentially the internal and external rules to keep people safe at work, down to how do you report and manage hazards and incidences. Uh, We then have the environment. So we're talking about the the physical uh, environment, the online environment, the social environment, in order for people to do their best work and, and assessing those risks. Uh, and areas of, of where things can possibly go wrong in the environment. If we look at those two factors, those factors are work design factors. We don't advise in this area, but we acknowledge that it is very important and mandatory. And we're seeing a lot of changes obviously coming into play around that social uh, safety legislation that's uh, changing across all the different state borders at the moment. Um, we specialize in and the work that we've done is focusing on those behaviors of employees we focus on these as being human factors and we narrow those those behaviors down to what we call our four pillars of performance being mindset movement nutrition recovery so in mindset we're talking about things such as their social connection their resilience their drive Movement, we're talking about how much structured, unstructured exercise, how much time spent sitting, um, are they up to the physical demands of their work? Uh, Nutrition, we're talking about what people eat and drink and how does that influence how they think, feel and perform. Uh, Recovery, we're talking about things such as sleep and work-life boundaries, things that people generally have control over themselves. Now, I guess what we're saying is that these areas are all equally important. That we can't just say, you know, focusing on a really great policy environment. So we can say that, you know, people can only work three consecutive eight hour night shifts is the maximum as as part of our our policy. We can do equipment safety checks completed every day as part of the environment. Uh, However, if that individual is only getting six hours of sleep a night because they've discovered TikTok and watching dog videos until 4am in the morning, their risk of injury is double compared to if they have eight hours of sleep the last three nights. So again, all these factors are equally as important as each other. And I guess conversely, you could say that you might have someone on the verge of burnout because they might be bullied by their manager, they might be given an unrealistic workload. But coming in and then delivering a program saying that you should just go home and do a meditation and everything will be fine, just probably compounds the issues for the individual, leaves them feeling more frustrated, isolated and overwhelmed. So we must be looking at across all three aspects of these if we're gonna create the optimal wellbeing environment. So if we look at some of the common ways um, that, that people integrate wellbeing offerings into their businesses. Um, and I guess things, that some of these you might be doing already, some of them you might not be, uh, some of them might be working well, some of them might be working better. Um, first of all, health insurance. We know that 70.9% of workplaces offer fully or partially subsidised health cover. Now, again, this is a great benefit when it comes to, I guess, financial strain that, that people might be going through. Uh, but, again, it really, really benefits people at that point of when they get to ill health. Not necessarily about maximising the benefits for them when it comes to taking those proactive steps in looking after their health. Then, if we look at things like mental health support, again, focusing more at people when they get to that need of critical care. Um, We know that EAP services, uh, again, are vital within organisations, but they only get an uptake of 5% on average across the whole industry, 5% of the workplace actually utilize those mental health support services. We've spoken to businesses that have had 0.5% of an uptake across mental health support services. So again, we're providing services for people at that critical care, which is important, but not looking at how we're, we're I guess, influencing supporting people at that 95% of the organization and the benefits that, that would get. Flexible work arrangements, again, they've uh, become more popular in recent times, and these are are changing across different industries. Uh, But I guess hybrid working has meant the boundaries between uh, work and home life, am I working from home or living at work, uh, has become harder. And people are actually working longer hours to compensate for the less trust that they might perceive that they have because they're working from home. So, again, it's great to give people those options, but they can often come at a cost uh, for people and not actually achieving what it is that, that uh, you're looking to achieve as an organisation. Uh, if we look at the work-life balance support, um, we're talking about things like providing paid time off, additional time off. Again, I think mental health days is one of the common ones that, that we're seeing used out there. Uh, again, these are these are great ideas, uh, but in application, we know that seventy-five percent of employees aren't even using the leave they have available. So by giving them extra leave, it doesn't actually solve any of the problems. And again, encouraging them to take holidays in order to recover, isn't a sustainable model of working. Holidays should be used to celebrate and and enjoy life and and get the most out of life. So again, there's there's benefits and and trade-offs there. Financial wellness, again, very very topical at the moment. you know, it can be tricky to provide financial support. It's highly regulated, you know, sorry, financial advice. is highly regulated in that industry and in what you can and can't do. Um, but we know that providing discounts um, to different providers as an employee benefit has helped uh, in a lot of those circumstances where financial wellness uh, and getting the right advice is always key. There, wellness reimbursement uh, again is a great initiative to encourage people to take ownership and have autonomy over their, their well-being. Uh, again, this is only going to really appeal to those people that are already engaged and already doing the right things. It's not necessarily creating that behavioural change in those individuals to, to then spark change um, and get better health outcomes. It does help, I guess, from the financial aspect of, of lessening the burden if they're weighing up you know money spent on groceries compared to money spent on their health and wellbeing. And then in office perks, so you know, relaxation spaces, spaces, meditation spaces, those sort of things, um, table tennis tables, uh, these are often seen as as tokenistic and uh, have been seen to be golden handcuffs where people just get locked in to spend even more time in the office. They can be beneficial in promoting the health, healthy behaviours by making it more accessible. But I guess the two that we really like to, to focus on um, and again I guess how we see the the real benefits to well-being is around education uh, so professional development opportunities uh, as individuals and groups in, in different methods of and, and ways of learning and running wellness programs so a consistent basis we know that one-off sessions or wellness weeks aren't enough in order to create a change and definitely the cupcakes in the kitchen uh for things like are you okay today actually have the, the opposite to the desired approach so again these programs need to be well thought out very strategic in the outcomes that you're you're trying um to achieve and also allowing that individual to explore what areas of well-being that they want to so that they have control over their own well-being and it's not a case of their employer telling them what they need or they should and shouldn't be doing So that's again, a a very general overview. Uh, And again, a few of our thoughts on those different things, uh, things to be mindful of when it comes to implementing some of these these strategies. Uh, And I guess the question that we always get is what does a lot of this look like in practice? Uh, And I think, you know, the key fundamental principle of the programs that we run, and again, based on some of the theories of Maslow, is that what is necessary to change a person is to change their awareness of themselves. That any change or personal development starts from self-awareness. So the conversations that we have are there to get people thinking about the things that are serving them well, and the things that aren't serving them so that they can have control over that process. Uh, So I guess a a really great example of of this in practice is some of the work that we've done with Coca-Cola, your specific partners, Uh, I guess with the onset of COVID in uh, 2020, uh, Coca-Cola engaged us to create a program for them to help their people navigate the physical and mental challenges that were experienced during that time. That program is known as our, our Better Being Complete program. Uh, it's a 12-month program. where Each month we have a particular focus around health and wellbeing, um, and help to promote and engage people into those different focuses. We often tie them in with broader health campaigns and initiatives that are going on. We understand the operating rhythms within the business um, and keep them really interactive and engaging for people. Um, and I guess during that time when we were developing the program, uh, we looked at what is the best way to create behavioral change and maximize engagement in programs such as this. So we base a lot of our programs on the Perma Plus model. Uh, so Perma, Perma Plus model was developed by Dr. Martin Seligman uh, when he looked at workplace wellbeing engagement and what is the best way to, to do that. And he identified that there's five key components that we must have in a well-being program in order to maximise its engagement amongst people. Those components are things like positive emotion, engagement, relationship, meaning and accomplishment. So when we look at things that, like positive emotion, we know that people engage more with things around um the desire to be better, compared to the desire to move away from sickness, uh, unless we are suffering from that that condition. So a lot of our programs, for instance, we talk about the high performance program, compared to how to avoid dying from too much stress and working long hours program, that people may associate with some of those things, but that desire to want to be better um, and move towards that positive psychology aspect of health and wellbeing, resonates and gets far more engagement within people. Um, Again, the messaging within those programs is very similar in terms of behaviors we need people to engage with, but how we position it and market it and give people how they want to see it in order to give them what they need. Next part is engagement. And so engagement is the cornerstone to everything we do. We need to make uh, everything accessible for people and understand their different demands. So the demands for someone working in a supply chain factory who are very rigid, working hours can't have long time off the floor. Our ability to communicate to them is very different to our ability to communicate with someone who's in front of a computer, have flexibility over their scheduling, um, have periods of time where they can work outside of work hours and are happy to do so on on the occasion. Um, We need to make things accessible for them. So, again, a a workshop and webinar works great for people that are online. Uh, For People that are on the floor working, they won't get value out of that. So incorporating things into toolbox talks and and those sort of things, we're building it into the work practices so we can get as much outreach outreach and engagement within that organisation is key. Creating relationships is really important. Uh, so a key part of our program is often coaching. Um, and again, important part of, is the positive part of relationships. Um, so that, having someone in their corner that they can talk to about their health and wellbeing is really important. One of the, the key outcomes that we always look at developing within the programs is peer-to-peer coaching. So how can we get people more comfortable in having conversations with each other about health and wellbeing? If we get them talking about those those challenges and those behaviours and, and those sort of things in a workplace, we know that we're going to get more positive change because these are positive relationships uh, where people are, are comfortable not only just having difficult conversations, but having good quality conversations. Uh, we then move into meaning. So we know that social connection is a lot harder um, with the organisations now with, with different hybrid working models. Um, and we know how important social connection is to our mental and and physical and emotional well-being. So being able to bring together people in shared experiences is is a really great way to give people more meaning and even giving them meaning beyond things um, such as themselves and and their own well-being. So, for instance, you know, raising money uh, through Dry july And doing that as a group and a collective together is a really great way to to build engagement within a program. You know, participating in a 10K fun run is a great way to get people working together towards something and for a meaning that's greater beyond themselves and they can do as a group and a collective. And then the last part there being accomplishment. Um, again, that, that concept of mastery, and, and I think this is something that a lot of organisations struggle with, and the questions they have is how do we measure well-being? We've developed what we call our well-being index. Uh, essentially, it's twenty subjective questions that people rate themselves on, that are based on behaviours, not necessarily states of being. So again, coming back to those factors that we know that people genuinely have control over. So, they complete that questionnaire. And the benefit of doing the wellbeing index is firstly, it helps them as an individual to quantify their own wellbeing. It helps them to then identify which areas might need more development, whether again, someone might be exercising well and not sleeping enough, they might be managing their stress but not eating very well. Uh, So, the index helps them to identify those areas that need more work. And importantly, it tracks the progress of that individual over time. And it also does this to the organisation, helps them to identify where their wellbeing is at, areas that they might need to support their people more, and then taking that progress over time to see that if we're getting that return on investment on these programs and strategies that we're running, are we creating change within that organisation and getting closer to that five one return on investment for the company? So in the 12 months of working with Coca-Cola delivering a program just like that, Coca-Cola were able to achieve a workforce engagement rating of 93%. Now, this is one of their internal workforce engagement surveys, so I'm not entirely across uh, the mechanics of how this survey is conducted and and how the 93% uh, actually works. But what I do understand for them is that globally, this was an outstanding result and a result that they had based purely on the impact of incorporating the wellbeing program. They then had to present to their European conference um, as to what they were doing in this space and the the impacts that it had. Uh, And it was a remarkable achievement, particularly given the time globally of, of what was happening in the world at that time. Over the years, we've now progressed and developed the strategy where we've targeted different parts of the business, and now we're actually working with a global team uh, to develop content and deliver uh, the wellbeing strategy uh, across their their entire business there now. Um, So again, it's it's remarkable to have that level of engagement and realising that wellbeing does more than than avoid ill health it actually promotes performance, and, and retention uh, and value within other parts of the business. For Coca-Cola, uh, this culminated them in winning the 2022 award for best, health, HR award for best health and wellbeing program. Uh, and some of the feedback from Coca-Cola as part of uh, their experience in conducting this program that given the wider variety of roles and shift patterns demands across Coca-Cola, it can be difficult to coordinate any session and have our people willing to utilize their valuable time. Better being and being willing to work with us to ensure these sessions are widely accessible to our people and people are keen to be able to access these sessions in their own time. Content is fantastic by itself, but the facilitator really bring to life and make it incredibly engaging. And I think that the key part of all of that for us is that people are willing to engage with it and utilize their time because it makes them feel valued and it gives value to them. And again, to reinforce that having a wellbeing program can have multiple benefits uh, across the organization, but making people feel valued is probably one of the most most important there. Um, So I guess as Maslow suggests, that in order to maximize a a return on investment for your organization's uh, money that they're spending, focus not just on the absence of disease, but how do we promote the presence of performance within people and support them with their well-being needs? Thank you. Sarah, do we have
1: many questions coming through? Uh, No questions at the moment. Um, There is a link that Lauren wanted me to share, so I'll drop that in the chat and also a link for the webinar next week.
0: Perfect. And if people scan that QR code, they can uh, head to download some of our resources, which goes into further depth and detail around some of those models uh, in the the PERMA plus model uh, around how how do we actually create change and engage people in in health and wellbeing programs. Uh, They're all free resources, so feel free to, to download any of those.
1: That's great, yeah. So I've dropped that link in the webinar chat and also a link to a webinar that we have next week with FIFO, who I think are friends of yours, or you know them, Greg? They are, they're great. Yeah, they're
0: fantastic. Uh, again, very good on, on the uh, work design aspects of, of well-being. Um, so it's great to work with them they're fantastic to so come and listen to next week, please tune
1: in. Yeah, so that one's on benchmarking and exploring unique ways to reflect, learn and improve. So um haven't got any questions, but thank you very much, Greg. Um, the link and we'll sh- uh, if people wanna share this on LinkedIn, etc., will be sent out either tomorrow morning or later today, depending on how quickly we get the video produced. So, and thank you, Lauren, for helping to organize this today. Um, another Lauren has said, awesome, um, a heap of great pointers, thank you. So um, great, thanks guys, and also, Ellen says, really interesting and inspiring. Thank you. And, um, again, thank yous from Jodie. So great work, Greg. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and and taking some time for your day. Hopefully that provides some value for you and I look forward to speaking to you again.
1: It looks like it has. Shireen says the resources are really helpful and thank you. Um, And also Hovan says thank you. All right, guys, see you next week. We're back on board. Okay. Bye, everyone. Yeah, bye. bye.